Hello and welcome to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. It's a Tuesday and we've got him for two hours today. So buckle up two hours of open forum with Tim Staples, 888-318-7884, 888-318-7884. Anybody can call with any question about the Catholic faith, about Jesus, about the Bible, maybe about the councils of the church, 888-318-7884. Tim is senior apologist here at Catholic Answers, the author, as uh, most people know who listen to the show, of Behold Your Mother, a Biblical and Historical Defense of the Marian Doctrines. Tim Staples, welcome. It is great to be with you, my friends. And didn't you you write a book, too, something about Cy Kellett, a teacher of strange things? A strange teacher of things. A, a strange teacher of things, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's no, it. No, but that, A Teacher of Strange Things is actually an excellent book. Oh, you're very nice to say that. Thank you. Thank you very much. It is. Yes. Um, it's mostly scripture, so it was easy for me. <laughs> uh, well, that's what I always say to people. They, is it good? And I go, well, it's got scripture in it, so it's not It's a lot there. of Jesus teaching. A lot of Jesus, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Man, in such a compact... I was, it's so funny. I was thinking this in Mass today. It's the Feast of St. Uh, Francis de Sales. And um, you think of the beautiful, all the beautiful teaching of Francis de Sales, and you think of Jesus as this, um, you know, three-year ministry, and then it blossoms out into this worldwide church with, there's just, it's, yeah. the richness of it is just unfathomable. It really is. It, it really is. You know, with all the crazy stuff going on now, it, it is helpful to remind folks, you know, maybe it's because I, I come from the Assemblies of God, and I can remember being on the dais with other Assembly of God ministers and whatnot who I know don't even agree on the nature of the Trinity. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Don't right, even right. Ag- agree on baptism, you know, the, the form for baptism, and can you lose your salvation or not, and so many issues like that that we take for granted as as Catholics that we have all of this incredible you know tapestry of of truth you know remember that yeah. folks you Amen. have an incredible blessing as Catholics, get out and evangelize. Share it with somebody. Amen. Uh, the number here, 888-318-7884, if you've got questions about sharing the faith, about living the faith, about what the faith is, you are very welcome. 888-318-7884. And uh, you're not traveling right now. You're not coming back from somewhere. You're not on your way off to somewhere. That's right. But wow, that's I am going to be on my way to Plymouth that would be Michigan, where I will be freezing, I'm sure. That's where Plymouth. the Pilgrims came? Uh, that's right. <laughs> that was a little further east. But yeah, Plymouth, Michigan, I'm going to be heading off there in a couple of weeks, and then we got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. You know, it's that time of year when when uh, Lent comes around. We're, then you're busy, busy, we're busy. busy, busy. Yeah. All right, a bunch of folks on the line. Let me see if, if we got any lines open. Yeah, one line open, so you can still get in the, the queue here to talk to Tim, 888-318-7884. We'll start in Texas today, Hunter in Texas, listening on the Catholic Answers Live app. Hunter, thank you for the call. Go ahead with your question for Tim. Hi there, Tim. Yes. Um, I recently... I recently went to confession, and yeah. um, at the end, the the priest uh, really sped through the words of absolution such that, uh, to be honest, I'm not sure he, he said them all. It sounded something like, I absolve you sins, name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's all um, you need, brother. <laughs> he, he seems to have hit the main words <laughs> he hit the for main a guy words. rushing through. <laughs> okay. That's yeah, right. Because... Uh, 
I yeah, I just I didn't know um, what the um, what the what the what the requirements were, and yeah. I just I, I remember leaving the confessional thinking, huh, I wonder if there was a defect in the yeah the, uh, the form of the the words. So, right, and there probably uh, was as far be helpful. Yeah, yeah. There well, there's a, a form for laicity and a form. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for what constitutes the sacrament, and so essentially all he has to say is absolvote, you know, in Latin, I absolve you, but he doesn't even have to say that, because the the CDF has has declared that it can be words to that effect. Oh, wow. So you don't even have to say I absolve you if, if you know. And there's been numerous dubia over over the centuries that have come in, so that you know. And, and there's a reason behind that, Hunter. You know, Jesus makes the sacraments as simple as you know we humans can have it, pretty much, because it's so essential for our salvation. So you have nothing to worry about there. Now, for he should say, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if the priest doesn't uh, say the, the form for laicity, well, then he's technically sinning, but that's on him. When you hear, I absolve you, or words to that effect, and as you said, nice there, I, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's a nice addendum there. He's supposed to say that you have a valid sacrament. I've been in a, a couple of situations, Hunter, where I didn't even hear him. I didn't know whether he even said, I absolve you of your sins. And I've had to actually say, oh, sorry, I'm, Father, I don't want to be a problem here, but could you say the words of absolution? <laughs> sure. and I, I've had a priest get mad and say, you know, and kind of, okay, I absolve you of your sins. You know, it was like that. Oh. And, and I've had, th- this has been like maybe three times, you know, in 30 years, but but you know it it can happen you know priests have bad days and he's right. tired and he mumbles through but it is important that you know that he uses the the proper uh form for for absolving your sins and he did you are absolved my friend wonderful thanks Hunter. <laughs> right. thanks very much uh glad it was good news to start right. off uh anybody can call with any question at all 888-318-7884 didn't mean to make a rhyme but there it is uh well back to texas second texas call and two uh two for two from texas george uh listening on the guadalupe radio network george go ahead with your question for tim hey glad to be on i'm just i'm kind of searching for truth uh you know i've listened to a lot of different uh religious ideas and things. I just want to know the Catholic uh, perspective on Satan. It was, you know, I'm sure, so Satan is a soul just like everybody else is a soul. Um, Well, no, I'll jump in right there. No, from a Catholic perspective, no, he's not a soul. He is a spirit, and there's a difference. We, We as human beings have souls, and souls are the forms for living uh, material beings. Plants have what we call a vegetative soul. Animals, non-rational animals, have a sensitive soul. And again, the soul is the vivifying and unifying principle of all living things, material living things. And man uniquely has a rational soul, spiritual by nature, rational by nature, which makes it immortal. Now, angels, 
they don't have souls that form bodies because they don't have bodies. They are pure spirits. So just a little correction, and you, you'll see that, for example, in Scripture, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says the angels are messenger spirits sent to the heirs of salvation, so they're helpers for us. And remember, when, when you're talking about the devil, the devil was created as one of we don't know how many myriads, as Scripture says, myriads of myriads of, of angels. You know, we can only imagine how many angels God created. And he did. In the beginning, he created all things, both uh, spirit and uh, material things in the beginning. And that includes all the angels. And think about this, brother. Uh, every human being that has ever or will ever be born has a guardian angel. And there are nine choirs of angels. The guardian angels are the lowest of the nine choirs each one of us has an angel. That's one in that lowest of the nine choirs of angels. Now, there's been roughly 144 billion people so far <laughs> on this planet. So you're talking 144 billion angels just to get started. And, of course, there's many more angels than that. And then, of course, you have eight other choirs. And so there are many, 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 you know, billions upon billions and billions. We don't know how many billions of angels there are. But Satan was one. And there is some disagreement among fathers and doctors of the church. Uh, Thomas Aquinas seems to think that, uh, and I go with this, that the devil was a cherub or a cherubim. That's the second highest choir under the seraphim. But he was a cherubim, and it does seem to be indicated in Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 14, that he was a, a covering cherub. And he led a rebellion against God's plan that was revealed to them in the beginning. And he led one-third of the angels in his rebellion against God's plan, wanting to establish his own plan. He basically says the opposite of Jesus, right? Jesus says, not my will, but thy will be done. Well, the devil says, not thy will, but my will be done. And that is the heart of, of what it, it is sin, right? And so the devil fell, and you can read about that in Revelation chapter 12, along with one-third of the angels, they, they fell and are condemned for all eternity, and he has become, as Revelation 12 describes him, the constant accuser of the brethren. He hates everything that God loves, and so that means he hates us, my friend, and he wants to destroy us. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. But did you have any particular questions about uh, the angels or Satan? Yeah, so so the, the devil and the angels, they began as spirit creatures pure spirits yes uh, and they still are god and so why are why are humans different why are we created as humans why weren't we created as spirit creatures and because we're going to end up as angels right nope nope that's you probably i think us as spirit creatures from the beginning i mean what is this all about being here on the earth yeah we're what? not we're not going to be angels you may, you must have been watching it's a wonderful life this christmas uh, that's a little joke there. Um, but no, we don't become angels. We are created as hylomorphic beings, that is body-soul composites, and we will be body-soul composites. Now, when we die, our bodies go to the, the, the grave and our 
our souls go to their eternal destinations before the end of time when our bodies will be resurrected. So right now the saints in heaven are disembodied souls, but they are incomplete as such. And they're longing for, in fact, except for the Blessed Mother, the Virgin Mary, who has her body um, because she was bodily assumed. You see this symbolized in Revelation 6-9 where the martyrs are, are saying, how long, O Lord, until our blood is avenged on the earth? They're waiting. And we see this in Hebrews 12-24, the spirits of just men made perfect are in heaven. They're awaiting their bodies that will be resurrected at the end of time. But it, when, you at, when you say, well, why didn't God make us as angels? Well, that's the, di- that's the divine prerogative, right? We cannot know the mind of God on why he created as he created, uh, because that's—talk that's, about above our pay grade? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's infinitely above our pay grade. But we can look at what God d- has done and see the glory of it, because all of creation is ultimately to bring glory to God in as much as it participate in as much as it exists it participates in the glory of God and so you have these various levels of creation the angels being hierarchically higher than we are closer to God because they're pure spirits and God is pure spirit so we can see why he created angels that give glory to God in a unique way we can see uh, that man is created in the context of a material universe where God chose to create material things to bring glory to him. And man is kind of the go-between between the spirit realm and the material because we are both. We have the material aspect, and we can see all of the the creation brings glory to God. I love Psalm 19, verse 1, that says, the heavens declare the glory of God. I mean, you can look at a sunset, look at the stars and the galaxies and see, wow, God is awesome, right? And so the material world gives glory to God, and we have these bodies that, as Psalm 139 says, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, give glory to God, but we have the spiritual component, our souls as well, we're kind of that go-between, as I said, the spirits, uh, God being pure spirit, the angels as spirits. We have the souls, but then we also have the material. And we kind of bring everything together in us. And Christ is the ultimate uh, person in salvation history who brings the material and spiritual not just together, but actually elevates the material order in a way that, you know, is beyond anything we can imagine. Because actually, because of the incarnation, even though we are inferior to the angels by nature because they're pure spirits and we have bodies, because of the incarnation, we're actually, if if we endure till the end and we're saved and we go to heaven— we will be exalted even above the angels and because God became not an angel, but he, he become man. Man will be exalted and already is exalted even above the angels. And so we, we'll see the glory of God in all of this, but most especially in the salvation that Jesus brought. George, um, if you'd like a copy of the book uh, that we have from our friend uh, Trent Horn wrote it, it's called Why We're Catholic. It explains a, a good deal of the the 
the various Catholic teachings and helps you understand why a person would choose to be Catholic. Since you said you're searching, if you would like a copy of the book, just hang on the line and Edgar will send it to you. You don't have to take it, but if you want it, we'd love to send it to you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Open Forum with Tim Staples on Catholic Answers Live. Catholic Answers Live. Do you have a question but prefer to ask it privately? Catholic Questions can help. Go to CatholicQuestions.com to ask your question online, email us, drop us a letter, or give us a call. Longtime Catholic Answers Live apologist and author Jim Blackburn or another Catholic Questions apologist will be happy to assist you. Catholic Questions proudly supports Catholic Answers Live, so visit us at CatholicQuestions.com today. That's CatholicQuestions.com. Church Pop takes a fresh and fun look at the news shaping our world, featuring engaging, inspiring, and informative Catholic social media content. Find it on Snapchat, Instagram, and on the web at churchpop.com. And you can get Church Pop emailed directly to your inbox. Visit EWTN.com and click subscribe. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live. Tim Staples, our guest, both hours today. So you got lots of opportunities to talk with Tim. 888-318-7884 is the number. Can you do 53 in 23? Uh, it's that time of the year when we make the challenge for the listeners and readers to take on the 20 Answers Challenge. We've got 53 20 Answers books uh, as we move towards the beginning of the Lent. It's a great time to challenge yourself with something that's going to benefit you and those around you. And if you'd like all 53 of the books, all at once, you can get them for a 75% savings. That's almost three quarters. I'm not good with math, but I think that's almost three quarters, 75%. Uh, just go to shop.catholic.com, and it's free shipping anywhere in the continental U.S. Shop.catholic.com. Let's see who else we got on the line here uh, for Tim. Uh, yeah. Timmy in San Diego. Hey, I like that name. I know. That's uh, there's there, you got a couple of those in your family. <laughs> that's uh, listening on the Catholic Answers Live app. Timmy, thanks for downloading the app onto your phone. Go ahead with the question, your question for Tim. Hey, gents, thanks for taking the call. Um, the question is about your book, Mr. Staples, yes. Behold Your Mother. So it's about, I think that you're explaining the Assumption of Mary, and it's pertaining to the end of uh, Revelation 11 and verse 19, that the temple of God was opened in heaven. They were seen in this temple, the Ark of His Testament. Yes. And um, you're talking about how John is going back to John in the gospel, saying that, you know, Christ said, when the temple's destroyed, it'll be raised in three days. He was talking about his body being the temple. So you're correlating that to uh, the temple's Christ, and then therefore right. the Ark is Mary. Yes. So, which is. I'm totally with you. That makes sense. That helped a lot. But then right. what doesn't make sense to me is at, at verse 19, so basically instead of the temple and the ark, we have Jesus and Mary, and then in the beginning of chapter 12, it says um, that there appeared a wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with a son, which would be Mary again. So it's kind of redundant and just confusing. Gotcha. So I can get clarity on that. Sure. Great, great question. And really, this is kind of the M.O., of, of the author of the book of Revelation, who I believe to be John the Apostle. 
and you can actually see it in multiple places, but the one that comes to mind right now, uh, I'll, I'll g- give you homework here. Check out Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Remember when it says, one of the elders said to me, weep not, lo, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, obviously, that's Jesus, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. But then in the next verse, what does it say? And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it it had been slain. Wait a minute. You just said he's a lion. Now you're saying he's a lamb. What's going on here? This is confusing, right? No, it's not confusing. In fact, throughout the book of Revelation, the main characters are revealed in all sorts of different ways. And each one of those revelations, and if you keep reading, in fact, not only is he a lamb, but he's a lamb that, as it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. So there's all sorts of symbols here that bring in, you know, more about just who this lion lamb is. Of course, here indicating he's God, right? Because the angels are his angels. They belong to him. Uh, And, of course, the angels are angels of God. Well, they're also um, angels of the Lamb, angels of Jesus, you know. So there's all sorts of different revelations going on in here, and that's why you have different images to express it. Think about all the different names for Jesus, right? In Isaiah 9, 6, his name shall be Wonderful Counsel, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, right? All these, and then he's Emmanuel in Isaiah 7, 14. Wait a minute, man, you're driving me crazy. There's so many different names here. Is this the same dude? Yes, it, it is, because it's different aspects revealing different essential truths about this one. And with Mary, of course, in, in Revelation eleven nineteen, as you know, because you're reading or you've read my book, when, when you have the Ark of the Covenant revealed in Revelation eleven nineteen, of course, that is just pregnant with meaning because we know in Luke chapter 1, verse 43, verse 56, and so many other texts that Mary is also the Ark of the Covenant. And then, of course, in, in, so in Revelation eleven nineteen, you have these images that are obviously Mary, but then in Revelation 12, it's even more plainly Mary, and that's why we wed those two texts together. And as you know, I said it in the book, originally those were not uh, separated, because, of course, the, the separations in books and chapter, uh, of chapter and verse did not happen for 800 to 1,000 years or more after the, the time of Christ. And so, you know, really Revelation eleven nineteen and Revelation 12, 1 go together just as Revelation 5, 5 and 5, 6 go together. Does, does that help at all, brother? Yeah, no, that helps. I, uh, it's cool that it happens other places in the Bible, so I guess that makes more sense. Thank you. All right. God bless you, brother. Thank you. I never know what to make of the answer, yeah, no. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Yes. No. Which one of those is it? I'm going to go with the first one. Uh, thanks, uh, Timmy. Appreciate that call. <laughs> Noah in Wheaton, Illinois. You are next watching on YouTube. Go ahead, Noah, with your question for Tim. Hi. Thank Hi. you much, so much for taking my call. So uh, I'm a Protestant who has been considering Catholicism for a while, uh, and I have a Protestant friend who is in seminary at the moment, and he wrote a paper critiquing the Catholic Church's view on the magisterium. Yes. Um, he's very ecumenical about it, and uh, thankfully that friend is actually quite open to Catholicism, or at least ideas as well. But 
um, he was critiquing the fact that um, the Church obviously claims to have not erred in its teaching, and that, that there's never been an error in Church doctrine. Um, but he was critiquing that because the Council of Constance II had declared that the Eucharist couldn't be had under both species um, mm-hmm. back in the medieval era, whereas 1 Corinthians 11, 20-29, you see Paul t- telling us to eat and drink of the Eucharist. Um, and I I thought maybe he was right. sort of taking that out of context. Yes, um, majorly. But I'm just wondering what your response... Sure. Yeah, w- what your response would be to that. How do you say that the Church... You know, made a, I sound like make the, a mistake. I sound like Donald Trump forms. there. Majorly, yes, or major league, <laughs> Bigly. Or major, <laughs> majorly, or um, yeah, yeah. First of all, there's no Council of Constance too, but it's true. The Council of Constance dealt with um, Wycliffe and Huss and and the idea of receiving under both species. The Council of Trent, in fact, it actually deliberated. Now, this would be 150 years later. The Council of Trent. There were actually fathers at the council who thought we may want to go to receiving communion under both species, but the Council of Trent said no, and for pastoral reasons, because of course there were Protestants going back to kind of the the pre-Protestant, you know, as as they called him, the Morning Star of the Reformation. John Wycliffe was already teaching the error that said you had to receive under both species. Tell you what. Hang on through the break, and after the break, I'll, I'll get back to this, and we'll, we'll put a bow on it for you. Uh, thanks, Noah. Hang on. We'll be right back with more Open Forum with Tim Staples. The recent decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade was a monumental victory for the pro-life movement. But the fight is far from over. With our new booklet, Why We're Pro-Life, We have produced the perfect tool to prepare you to have peaceful and convincing conversations to shed light on the truth about human life from conception to natural death. Catholic Answers is printing millions of copies of this booklet, and we plan simply to give them away. You can help us in two ways. First, by generously supporting this project. 25 cents prints one book. $2,500 prints 10,000, and so on. Second, by helping us distribute the booklet through your parish, your school, or the pro-life ministry you work with. Catholic Answers is going to blanket the country with why we're pro-life, but only if you step up and help us. Thank you so much. For more information, visit whyweareprolife.com. Want to know more about the origins of the Catholic Church? Joe Heschmeyer explores the beginnings of Christianity in The Early Church Was the Catholic Church. Joe digs deep into the words and actions of those who lived right after the apostles to refute anti-Catholic claims of how the faith was lived back then. Order your copy of The Early Church Was the Catholic Church today at shop.catholic.com or get it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Catholic Answers Live is 25 years old. That's a quarter century helping people come into deeper communion with the Catholic faith. As we move into our second quarter century, please help us reach thousands more by becoming a Society 315 monthly donor. Right now, when you join Society 315 at a monthly giving level of $25 or more, we've added some extra perks to the other great benefits we already offer members. Go to givecatholic.com and choose the monthly option to start your donation. 
Hi, this is Johnette Williams. We embrace the essence of feminine spirituality on Women of Grace tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern here on EWTN Radio. Now, back to Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. Tim Staples, our guest both hours. And on the line, Noah in Wheaton, Illinois, yep. thinking about uh, coming into the Catholic Church, but it seems to him that the Church has erred in some of its statements at councils. So, Tim, right. you were dealing with that. Yeah, Noah, and to get to the root of, of this thing, there, there the, there's a false understanding of the nature of communion uh, coming from your friend, and it's rooted in a false understanding of 1 Corinthians 11. And I notice you mentioned 28 and 29. You really should direct your friend to verse 27, because verse 27 says, if anyone eats this bread or, very important, or drinks this cup unworthily, he will, uh, I'm skipping down to 29, eat and drink damnation to himself. So why? I'll go back to verse 27. Uh, be, because he does not discern the body of the Lord, and he blasphemes against the body and blood of the Lord, or he's guilt. The, the language that Paul uses is the language of homicide. He's guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So again, if anyone eats this bread or, Greek word is hey there. First-year Greek student knows the difference between hey and kai, right? If anyone eats this bread or drinks this cup, uh, he shall be unworthily, he shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Indicating here, if you receive either one unworthily, you're guilty of blaspheming both. And why is that? Because Jesus is holy, entirely present, body, blood, soul, and divinity under each species, right? It's not half of Jesus is under the appearance of bread, and the other half of Jesus is under the appearance of wine. No, the whole Jesus is under the appearance of both. So if you receive either one, you've received both. Now, the key here, though, is to understand in Matthew 26 and Luke 22 and Mark 14, when you look in the Gospels, when Jesus says the first Mass, the apostles received both species. Right, and people will point to that, right? Science yes. say, we'll see the apostles receive both. Well, that's because they were bishops, right? And they are offering the Mass with Jesus. Jesus empowered them, right? Do this in memory of me. He empowered them to be able to do what he himself is doing. And so as bishops, of course, they have to receive under both species because that is essential to the completion of the sacrifice for for the priest. So the priest, the bishop, has to receive both. And that's why in Matthew 26, as I mentioned, and Luke and, and Mark, the apostles receive both. But Paul, when he's dealing with the laity, the general people of Corinth, he says, if you receive either, you've received both. And if you receive either unworthily, you're guilty of blaspheming both. So when it comes to receiving under both species, this is a matter of prudential judgment. 
It's not a matter of dogma at all. It is a fuller symbol for the people to receive under both species. And so, uh, you know, that I think is a good thing that came after the Vatican Council. That is Vatican Council II to restore that which was an ancient practice of receiving under both species. That is good. There's no essential difference, though, between receiving both species or receiving one. You receive the same Jesus. It's not like if you take three sips, I'm getting more Jesus. Give me some more. You know, No, right, you, you right. don't get any more Jesus like that because you get the whole Jesus when you receive him. Bam, that's it. But it is a fuller symbol. There's a symbolic value. Now, the, at the Council of Trent, as I mentioned before, they decided not to go with both species because of the errors that were flooding in because of the reformers, you know, and they were teaching this false doctrine that goes back to Wycliffe and Huss, that if you don't receive both, you haven't really received Jesus, and, and also, and there were various different errors uh, taught in relation to that error. So, bottom line, Noah, the church did not change her doctrine because her doctrine has always been the same. You can receive under both species or you can receive under one species. This is a pastoral decision. So this has nothing to do with dogma saying we're going to do it this way at this time for pastoral reasons and we're going to do it this way at, uh, at another time. That's not a contradiction any more than St. Paul recommending veils for women in 1 Corinthians 11, and he calls it a custom, sunathon, I believe is the word, sunathon, a custom, and because we change that custom, generally speaking, I mean, there's nothing wrong with women wearing a veil, but this is a custom, and that can change, so if you don't wear a veil, it doesn't mean you're less of a Catholic. In the, you know, in the same way, if you don't receive under both species, you're not losing anything essential, not essential. What we're talking about is just a fuller symbolic value. I, I hope that gets at it. And, and is there anything else I could help you with there? Okay, yeah, that, that's very helpful. Um, so essentially, then, the reason why they would have banned both species just had to do with the errors coming about from John Huss and the proto-Protestants, is that right? Sure. Or like what other reasons would they have had for doing that? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was simply a pastoral decision down through the centuries when the lay people, you know, as the church grew, you have lots of people, there's spillage problems, you know, when you when you do it under both species, there is a problem, can be with spillage, desecrations, and that sort of thing. And so for various and sundry pastoral reasons, the Church, especially in the Latin Rite, but in the East as well, would uh, just have uh, communion under the one species. And th there are good pastoral reasons for that. But when the errors came along of Wycliffe and Huss teaching that you have to receive it under both species, that just served as a further reason why you don't want to go to both species. We needed to really teach our people, no. Because if, if you were to change because Huss and Wycliffe come along and start spreading their, their false teachings, well, then you're going to confuse the faithful in thinking, oh, well, maybe the church was wrong, 
and and then you you know so the church in her wisdom says no we need to maintain communion for the reasons we already had it to start with like the reasons i already mentioned now we have even more reason and the council of trent you know 150 years later continues because those errors continued it was actually discussed on the floor there at the Council of Trent, and for very good pastoral reasons, they continued communion under one species. But by the time of Vatican Council II, it's just not a big problem anymore. We don't have a problem with people thinking they're not getting all of Jesus if they don't receive uh, under both species. And so uh, after the Council, the popes, the post-conciliar popes and the bishops universally around the world said, hey, now's a good time to do it. All right? Thanks, Noah. I'm going to leave that there. Lots of folks on the line. It's open forum. Tim Staples is our guest, and we go now to our old friend Aaron in Hastings, Michigan, watching on YouTube. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Um, the question I had is, where is the Trinity in the Mass? Right. Well, it the Trinity really from the beginning when when father begins the liturgy he begins in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and especially in the latin rite you get a lot more references to the trinity in the eastern rites especially the byzantine rite but in the latin rite i find it to be incredibly beautiful actually and in particular, in, in the, the post-conciliar reforms after the Vatican Council II, there's a beautiful sense in which, yeah, you begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you end, you go out in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But generally speaking, now, of course, you have the feast days of the Trinity and whatnot where the Trinity is invoked um, a lot more often. But generally speaking, the, the, the Mass is constructed so that you know, Father goes up to the altar, he turns around, he blesses the people in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and then all focus turns toward the Word and then to the altar where we enter into the Blessed Trinity, right, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so everything is offered to the Father in the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you say, you know, where is the Trinity? We're in the Blessed Trinity. We're being invited into the Blessed Trinity to experience the life of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Aaron, that brings us to the break, so I hope that that was helpful to you. Thank you very much. We will take this break and be back with more questions for Tim Staples on Catholic Answers Live. There's only one Catholic Answers Live. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. On the web at realestateforlife.org. Do you love praying for people? Have you ever wanted to use your gift of prayer to share Jesus with others and build up the body of Christ? Start a public prayer station with St. Paul Street Evangelization. Listen to people's needs, pray with them, or invite them to meet you at church. St. Paul Street Evangelization can help you get started. Find out how at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. 
The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. It is a tremendous privilege to be able to speak to so many of you and to know that so many of you are listening to the answers which we want to give you so that you can know the truth of Jesus and come to love Him more. EWTN Open Line Wednesday with Father Mitch Pacwa tomorrow afternoon, 3 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kelly, your host. Tim Staples is our guest, and it is open forum. And uh, we said open to anyone, and so um, we meant it, open to anyone. So here to ask a question, uh, Jordan, who works right here in the office with us uh, from the, well, she works in the development office. Hi, Jordan. Hey. Thanks for coming in. Do you Thanks like working here? Me. Yeah, oh, I love it. Nothing's changed. I mean, some things have changed, but since the last time I was on the air, still loving it. Okay, good. I'll check in every time you come on. Please do. All right, uh, go ahead. Lay your question on uh, Tim Staples. Okay, so this question is actually on behalf of one of my friends. Her name is Christina. She lives in New... Where does she live? North Carolina. New North Carolina? New North Carolina. That's my favorite part. Uh, Her question is... If you go to Mass and you are in a state of grace and you purposely do not receive the Eucharist, is that a sin? All right. No, that would generally not be a sin. In fact, you know what, Jordan, we've talked about this on this broadcast before. There are those, and it's an there's an interesting, let's say, uh, legitimate disagreement among Catholic theologians on this point. There are those who argue, like a good friend of mine, a a priest, he's a Norbertine priest, who actually recommends at times a kind of fasting from the Eucharist, right? And that seems weird, and it seemed weird to me too. I, 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 in my own theology and my own practice, I don't say that I agree with this, but his position is that less can be better. Just like, you know, if you gorge yourself on food all the time, you eat something, it can become repulsive to you. You know, the idea is you don't have to receive the, there's no law of the church except you have to receive at least once a year during Easter season. That's that's a precept of the church. The church never dictates you have to receive the Eucharist every Sunday if you're in a state of grace. That's just not, that's not true. So it's not a sin. But, it, but I'm, I'm going beyond your question because I find this fascinating. There are those who argue, and this, this pertains especially to daily communicants, but this priest said that it's, it can be good to refrain, go to Mass and not receive the Eucharist, even though you could. And just make an act of love toward the Blessed Sacrament, Lord, I long to receive you with the purity, humility, and devotion with which your Most Holy Mother received you, with the purity and fervor of the saints, you know, or whatever prayer you want to say. And so that when you do receive again, it's actually more fruitful, right? And, you know, it's an, it's an interesting uh, argument. I mean, my argument is that you need to receive, if you can do it. No matter what you feel like, you know objectively this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord that's going to transform my life. But So anyway, that, that's going beyond your question. But the bottom line is, no, there is room for Catholics, different spiritualities and whatnot to say, you know, whether they should receive every opportunity they have or not. And the Church does not dictate, dictate that 
to us. But the only thing I would warn about is you might want to ask the reason behind it. Because there can be a problem with scrupulosity, there can be a problem with some sort of the, you know, the reason why they're not receiving may not be healthy. So that may involve some more questions, but it's not a sin per se. Jordan? Great. All right. I think (laughs) I'll tell Christina to listen, you know. I think think it was a great answer. Thanks, Tim. All right. All right. Good. I, I look forward to you coming back again, and I'll ask you if you still like working here. I, I think I hope the answer will be yes. I hope so. I hope so too, Jordan. <laughs> I hope so too. Uh, we're going to Ohio now. Rachel in Ohio, listening on Redeemer Radio. Thanks for waiting, uh, Rachel. I know you have waited a long time, but uh, go ahead with your question for Tim. Yes. Good evening, gentlemen. I work with a lot of Protestants and non-denominational people, and I'd like to spark conversation to share the Catholic faith. Right. And so my question is, like, what topics of faith would be a good place to start to ignite those conversations? Oh, yeah. That, this is a great question. And, you know, I always like to, to take the example of Jesus in John chapter 4. You know, he, he yeah, it's so beautiful. He comes down to, as you and I know, to the Samaritan woman at the well. And you notice he doesn't come up to the Samaritan woman well at the well and just say, hello, Samaritan woman at the well, I'm God, how are you, you know? <laughs> By the way, I'm the second person of the Blessed Trinity, relationally distinct from the Father and the Holy Spirit, but one in essence. And by the way, I've become incarnate. I, I have two natures, one divine, one human. I mean, no, of course, she wouldn't know what in the world he's talking about, but he doesn't do that. What does he do? He asks her for a drink of water. Right. I know in my own life, I have, as Cy Kellett knows, everybody here over the last uh, year and a half or so, I've been in hospitals and I've been with lots of nurses and doctors and needles in my arm and dye in my veins and all kinds of stuff. And it sparks a lot of interesting um, uh, conversations. And I've been able to evangelize in so many different contexts. Just recently, I had a technician who was working with me in this particular procedure I was going through just about a week ago, and um, I just started talking to her about her own life and what Mm -hmm. she had been going through, and oh my gosh, all of a sudden, you know, she's opening up to me, and actually, I've had these conversations more than just once with her, and she has ended up opening up to me about her whole life, her former husband and how he died and where she is. She was a Jehovah's Witness, and now she's going to the Rock Church, but she doesn't really know. And so, you know, so I, I say all that to say this. I find the best way is to let the other person lead the conversation, right? Just ask simple questions and let them lead it. And you can guide things a little bit. You know, Jesus certainly guided the conversation. But once the person starts opening up to you, that's when the doors open, you know, and you then I find myself sharing my own Catholic faith with her and saying, well, look, and I, I'm even going to recommend a particular priest to her. In fact, uh, Val, I know she's listening right now. We've got to get a hold of Father Gary because we got to get her in touch with you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, all right. So, you know what? I, I think that's, the, to me, the best way to evangelize. And, and I also like the Trent Horn approach, you know, but there was a guy before him. I think his name was Socrates. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> before Trent Horn. You know, the Socratic method, you know, just asking questions and helping to guide the conversation. But what I, I really think what works best is when the person 
you know, feels like they're leading the conversation and you're, you're meeting them at their need, I think where we can make mistakes, in my humble opinion, Cy Kellett, is if you come and you dictate and you just start telling people this is what you need to, I'm telling you, people don't like that because they don't want to be sold a used car. I mean, generally speaking, in our culture, if you start dominating a conversation, you often lose people. You know, and and so that would be my recommendation. You know, I, I I put it like this. You know, everybody has an itch, right? Every human being on this planet has an itch, a need for God. But they're the only ones that can tell you where their itch is. And you can't scratch it until they tell you where it is. All right? So let them tell you where they're at. And then you jump in. And when you find, and you know what's really cool about this method is there's no pressure on you. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to be that guy, you know, that we've all seen before who, you know, the, standing on the street corner wanting to give you something and wanting to tell you you're going to hell and this is why and all of that. It, you don't need to do that. You, you, you find yourself being a listener. James chapter 2, you know, St. James says we should be slow to speak, quick to hear. Oh, I love that verse, I tell it, right? Slow to speak, quick to hear. And then what you find is when they're talking to you, you can kind of pick and choose where to jump in. You know, if you're not comfortable, if they start talking to you about whatever, uh, their Jehovah's Witness belief about Jesus being the Archangel Michael or something, you're not comfortable with dealing with that, well, just let them talk. Let them talk. And then you, you, you'll find, okay, this person brings up something. I am comfortable. And then you can kind of jump in and gently share. But at any rate, I, I hope there was at least something in there that's helpful. Well, thank you so much. All right. All right. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, we're going to Kaylin in Kentucky. Uh, Kaylin, you there with us? Yep. Did I say your name right? Uh, Callan. 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 So that was the other thing. I was. I it was a fifty-fifty shot, and that I went the wrong Irish. way. Is Callan. that is that Irish, Callan? Uh, I don't know. Don't probably. Know. Yeah, probably. Well, uh, how old are you, Callan? Um, I'm twelve. Well, thank you for your call, and go ahead with your question for Mr. Staples. So, I'm getting ready for my confirmation, and. I got to thinking one day um, why you needed the gluten-free host when the hosts are formed into the body of Christ. Good, good question. And, Callan, here's the key, right? We believe as Catholics in the dogma of transubstantiation, right? So when Father yep. says, this is my body, this is the chalice in my blood— he is no longer holding bread in his hand, and that chalice no longer has wine in it. It is transubstantiated, as you know, uh, Callan, into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord. But that's a substantial change. The appearances, we, in philosophy we call it, it's kind of our theology that, that has baptized uh, philosophy— uh, we call it the accidents, but it's, it, you can also understand it as the appearances. 
the appearances of bread and wine remain. Even though there's no bread and wine, the appearances, and that includes when we say the accidents or appearances, the, the size, the weight, the color. If you get a microscope out and look at its atomic uh, constitution, it didn't change whatsoever on a material level, even on an atomic level, because we're not talking about uh, and. The accidents here, we're talking about a substantial, as the great theologian Dr. Ludwig Ott calls it, a, quasi, a quasi-spiritual state. I mean, there is a material component, but it's a quasi-spiritual state that we're talking about here. So you're not going to be able to get a microscope out and see Jesus curled up in a ball, you know, down there somewhere, right? right? So, so, Callan, the reason why we would need a gluten free or close to gluten-free host is uh, because if a person is going to be affected, if they have a severe allergy to gluten, well, they'll be just affected, just as affected by that host after consecration as before because the accidents or the appearances of bread and wine remain. Okay, but that has nothing to do with the substance, the transformation that's occurred. It is Jesus. It's just the appearances remain. Does that help at all, Callan? Yep. All right, brother. All right. So, you, uh, how long until you make your uh, confirmation, Callan? Um, it's February seventh, I believe. Oh well, congratulations. Uh, do you have any Catholic Answers books? Because uh, I could send you some if you don't have any. I don't have. I only have the um, 100-something questions that teenagers have about their faith. Oh, all right. Well, um, how about Nuts and Bolts? Should we send them Nuts and Bolts? Absolutely. A, a practical how-to guide? There's a great chapter in that book, uh, Callan, on the Eucharist. You'll, you'll love it. Uh, and and uh, we'll look forward to your call again, maybe after you're um, uh, confirmed. Okay. I'll call you Callan, then. I won't call you Kalen at that time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know if Kalen's okay. a, I just made that up. I feel terrible. All right. Well, thanks, Callen. Uh, the number here is 888-318-7884. And as soon as Callen gets his book, that will uh, – let me add it up. Carry the two. That will bring us to one line open. So lots of folks on the line. So let me give you the warning right now. Uh, we're going to come back in a couple minutes. So if you're on the line, uh, stay on the line. Uh, if you haven't called, some people aren't going to listen to what I just said. They're, they're not going to stay on the line. And so there will be at least a couple lines open. Tim Staples oh, is goodness. our guest. Wait, I, the you're... first hour is gone? <laughs> what? I hate when you just wake up and notice that there's a clock right in front of you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <It's> the... <laughs> the, the amazing thing, Tim, is the genuine surprise every time Rand's <laughs> like, I, if I thought you were faking it, I'd be like, oh, come on. But like the genuine, what? An hour is gone? Yes, we answered a lot. You answered a lot of questions. And now we take a momentary break. And we will be right back with more Open Forum with Tim Staples. Open to anybody, whether you're Catholic or not, whether you're a religious believer or not. You got a question, a general question about God or a very specific question about the Bible or Jesus. It's all welcome. 888-318-7884. 